My name's Raj. I'm one of the elders here at Jubilee. So if you're a visitor, you're very welcome. For those of you who want to uh, follow in the Bible, um, uh, Bible reading this morning, we're going to be speaking from uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. The very famous passage, the parable uh, of uh, the Good Samaritan, famous, provocative, history-shaping teaching by Jesus uh, on a subject that would relate very much to our, our role in terms of encountering uh, the love of the nations um, uh, through, through, through our relationship with Jesus. So um, that's, what we're going to be, that's where we're going to be going tomorrow, uh, today. And so this morning, really, I'd like to unpack for you a very famous encounter uh, with Jesus and a Jewish religious law expert describing God's heart for the nations, uh, the poor, as well as um, his desire to change our heart. Okay, encountering Jesus changes if everything. If you haven't had an encounter with Jesus that hasn't changed your inner being, I'd question the encountering. It certainly changed my whole life some 17 years ago. To think that I would be on this adventure 17 years ago would be nuts. But God moved. So let's read the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life with God? So Jesus says, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it, expert in the law? And he answered this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. A summary of Jewish law, a very good one. Jesus responds to that. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, put it into action, and you will live. But he wanted to, but the expert of the law is starting to feel uncomfortable now. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus told a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, a very dangerous path. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, a religious person, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on by to the other side. So too a Levite, another man who was responsible for delivering alms to the poor. When he came to the place and saw him, he also passed on by to the other side. But a Samaritan, Jews hated Samaritans, number one enemy. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the Jewish man was in the road. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Not only that, he put on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took two denarii money and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, the Samaritan man said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you have. All out, charity and love. Which of these three, this is the question that Jesus answers after, asks after telling the story. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man, the Jewish man who fell into the hands of the robbers? 
The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. Jesus told him to go and do likewise. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this an amazing story. Thank you, Lord, that this story has, cha- has shaped um, uh, governments, has shaped organizations, has, has shaped many people's thinking across the world, even subconsciously. We do not know how much that this story has shaped the world. And I pray, Lord God, G- Lord God, that as we look into it, that you would pour out your spirit on all of us so that we would have eyes to hear and ears, uh, that we have eyes to see and ears to hear the wonder and the challenge and the grace of this mighty story. We ask you in Jesus' name. So, this is a parable. Jesus told lots of parables. What are parables? Well, parables, we went through a series of parables some years ago, didn't we? Parables are small stories describing bigger realities. I often talk about parables being like ninjas, those oriental warriors. Because suddenly, out of nowhere, the deeper message of these um, parables, these stories, jumps out on you. Boom! Personally, the ninja strikes. That's how I see these stories. So watch out. Watch out. He's going to jump out at you, hopefully. So let's explore this together. Um, So before the actual parable, the story, okay, There's a short conversation with Jesus and a religious expert who is trying to, it says, trap Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was breaking all the rules, according to the religious expert, when it comes to hanging out with with the people others would have despised, spit on, hated, or thought of as unclean, what they'd often call sinners. The The law expert asks a question, What do you think I must do, Jesus, to inherit eternal life? How can I be saved by God? What do I need for God to fully accept me? And the trap was this. He thinks Jesus is about to undermine everything the Jewish culture of the day looked up to all those morals and rules of the Torah. He was expecting Jesus to say, ignore all that stuff in the Holy Scriptures. It's okay. God accepts everyone. God loves everyone. God has low expectations of you. He's not bothered. That's the trap. He's trying to expose Jesus as a phony teacher and a religious rebel. Gotcha, he's thinking. But Jesus has a trap of his own, doesn't he? The only difference is that Jesus' trap is a trap of love. So how does Jesus answer? Well, he asks another question. Always good to think about that. When someone asks you a question, ask another one. He says, well, okay, you know the law, so give me a summary of what's at the heart of it. And Jesus gets the summary he was expecting. He'd expect this from a guy who's, you know, fully knowledgeable about the law, of, uh, the Torah, Torah law. And so the Jewish expert says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Love and love your neighbor as yourself. Good. That's a really good summary. But what does it mean, Jesus is asking in this dialogue? 
Superficially, it sounds easy-peasy, straightforward. But, think, but if you really think about it, it's actually very, very demanding. Those two lines are, are very demanding. The first part is saying, put God above all other things. How are you doing? He's created humanity. It's saying he's created humanity, you and me, to worship and share in his beauty and wonder. Don't let your work pressures, your relationship issues, your kids, your money, your worries, your fears distracting, distract you from giving your all to Jesus. Live daily with him at your very center. And that's the first rule. How are you feeling? Have you passed the test, test, tick? There's another one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's just as challenging, isn't it? The law demands, this is what it's getting at, the law demands that you meet the needs of your neighbor with all the force, all the joy, all the speed, and all the power that you meet your own needs in your day-to-day. When you reach out to someone in need, um, um, do it with all the energy and enthusiasm, um, the law says, as if you, were that, if you were the very one in need. That's what it's saying. Two rules to get right with God. Two rules to live the perfect life. Love God passionately. Love each other passionately. Do you feel the force of what Jesus is saying? You see, this fellow was feeling pretty much top of the pops. He was feeling pretty superior about himself before he meets Jesus, who he's trying to trap. But Jesus says, when you look beneath the law at what God is after, the character changes, the heart changes, do you realize how inadequate you are before God? He's getting him to reflect on this. You can try to get there yourself, trying, doing, working, go, 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 Or maybe, just maybe, Jesus is hinting at, God has a different plan. A rescuer, a saviour of the world who gets you there himself. That would be good, wouldn't it? Well, this religious expert is feeling, is falling into Jesus' trap and feeling the weight, as I can hear the silence here, as you are as well. Um, You're getting into the story too. Well done. Parable, watch out, ninja. Look at what, uh, well, this religious expert is falling trapped. So look what it says. Look how he responds. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor then? The law is doing in him exactly what it's meant to do. It's convicting him. It's making him feel uncomfortable. It's underlying all his imperfections. So he does what any decent person would do in that situation. What does he do? He fights back. He has a go. Well, who's my neighbor then, Jesus? Surely you don't mean anyone. Surely, even worse, surely you don't mean everyone. Come on, I thought you were about lowering the standards, not making them greater. And then Jesus says, you know what? That reminds me of a story. And so he goes on. And in the story, we have a hero. We've just read it, haven't we? 
a Samaritan who's on his way to Jericho. And if you didn't know Jews and Samaritans, generationally, father, son, father, son, father, son, bitterly hated each other. Culturally different, racially different, religiously different. Yet quite remarkably, against all the odds, this story tells us the Samaritan stops and give his, gives his all to this dying Jewish man in the road, unlike the two others that pass by. This is Jesus' answer to the religious lawyer's initial question. What is the minimum standard? What's the least I must do to help others? Who are you expecting me to call neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus almost says, think of your worst nightmare. Will you, can you be a neighbor to him or her? Boom. And that's the challenge of God's mission to us, Jubilee, isn't it? We're not just called to live in some holy huddle away from every, every, everyone else, just tut, 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 tutting all the time, high and mighty all the time. Loving our neighbor, Jesus' definition of neighbor, is not optional. As I was writing this, it reminded me of, um, uh, of, the, of, of, of the imam recently on TV, Muhammad Mahmoud, who saved the life of the racist killer who drove in to that Muslim crowd of worshippers. Sacrificial. Jesus says, love God, love your neighbor. And he calls us all to that. And the second thing I notice here is how Jesus' idea of love is so huge. Not just who's your neighbor, but his idea of love is so huge. Did you get that? No limits, says Jesus. This Samaritan goes all out, doesn't he? I'm always finding that I, we try and limit God's grace to others, excuses to get, get through with a bare minimum. We limit the who, don't we? The who. Um, you know, um, it's natural for me to want to give help and get involved with people who are like me or who, are like you, or who like you or who you are like. There's nothing wrong with that. But what about the other people? What about the Samaritans? Who are your Samaritans? As well as uh, leading the team here uh, at Jubilee, I work, in a, uh, I work part-time as a local GP. And over the years as a practice, uh, we have deliberately and proactively um, gone to places where other doctors or teams don't want to go to. Prison settings, people with drug addiction families, asylum seekers and refugees supporting practices that are struggling to recruit GPs. That's a massive problem in the Northeast. Severe mental health inmates, caring for violent patients, training the GPs of the future, strategic um, positions in policy development and specialist areas, going to the places where people don't want to. What next? It's a great adventure. I love this painting uh, 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 that Lily Grob painted some months ago now uh, during one of our worship times, declaring the grace and love of God being scattered widely like seed. That's how I see the church in action, Jubilee. Not just leading ministries or community groups. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Those are really good things, very helpful. But the church primarily is the gospel, the joy news of Jesus through you shaping out there. Showing God's love in our streets 
uh, in our friendships, our work, our parenting, in creativity, in art, in engineering, in government, our whole lives. That's what we're called to. When Jesus puts a Jew and a Samaritan together and the Samaritan does everything uh, for the hated Jew, Jesus' point is this, don't you dare limit the who. He says also, don't limit the when either. When we say things like, I don't mind helping them when they deserve it. It wasn't their fault. They got cancer. They're flat burnt down. But those people... Uh, but those sleep-out, rough, homeless guys, those alcoholics, they don't deserve help. They're, they're irresponsible, tough to them. But once again, in this story, Jesus says no. As we've already said, the Samaritan would have thought all those thoughts about this Jewish man in the street. But he still reaches out. He still reaches down. Jonathan Edwards, a pastor and Bible teacher in the 1740s, uh, wrote a fascinating piece of work. Um, if you can read the translation of it, it's written in Old English originally. Uh, a fascinating piece of work called The Duty of Charity to the Poor. And he wrote it in response to all the excuses, there's loads of excuses in it, um, that his congregation were giving to him as to why they didn't want to uh, reach out to the poor. And Jonathan Edwards almost made a list of all these excuses uh, which he obviously found very helpful in terms of responding, and tried to answer them through the eyes of Jesus in the Bible. So here's just one excuse. I've got, probably got a couple out of loads. But here's one. This is what his congregation uh, was saying. But they brought on their trouble themselves. I don't have to help when they brought on their situation themselves. That's what they were saying, mumbling. And Edwards replies, but Christ loved you, pitied you and greatly laid himself out for you to relieve you from all the want and misery which you brought on yourself. By your own folly, should we not love others as Christ loved us? Jesus says, don't dare limit the who. Don't dare limit the when. But he also says, don't dare limit the how much as well. Once again, we do that all the time. I do that all the time. If, I'd had enough, if, if, if I had enough for myself to get by, well, maybe then I'd give more away. But get, re- but, but, but get real, Jesus. I can't make ends meet. By my, uh, meet myself. That's some of the excuses people say. Never mind others. Once again, Jesus says, I want your heart. He's compassionate. He wants us. He wants our heart. Look at the parable. This road from Jerusalem to Jericho was nicknamed nicely, the path of blood. You don't want to be driving there um, late at night. Why? Because so many people would have got beaten, robbed, killed on this route. Why did those other two, other two guys pass by? I'll tell you why. Because they were smart. If you saw someone on the path of blood who wasn't dead yet, it probably meant the robbers were just round the corner, nearby. Helping him could have been fatal. We might look at these guys and think, gosh, how terrible. I wouldn't have done that. But we probably would have done. But this Samaritan in Jesus' story is exceptional. He risks everything. He gives everything. Jonathan Edwards, again, in his paper writes, and it's it's written in Old English, so try and follow this. I'll explain it in a minute. Remember Galatians 6.2 when it says, Bear one another's burdens, 
What does it mean, asked Jonathan Edwards. Well, we may, by the rules of the gospel, be obliged to give to others when we cannot do it without suffering ourselves. Else, how is it that the rule, bear with one another's burdens, is fulfilled? If we are never obliged to relieve others' burdens except when we can do it without burdening ourselves, how do you bear your neighbor's burdens when you only do it by bearing no burden at all? <gasps> do you see what he's saying? Old English, a bit complicated. That's terribly challenging. He's saying when you and I say, I can't afford to give, what we mean is we can't afford to give to the poor or the needy without burdening me, without it hurting my living standards, without it making me radically sacrifice. And to that, Jesus says, yes, that's exactly what I want from you. Your treasure is where your heart follows. In fact, if you can't afford to help, Jesus says, you're not helping enough. Ouch! Ninja! Don't limit the who. Don't limit the when. Don't limit the how, how much. Jesus has no limits to his love. How are you feeling? All this sounds great, doesn't it? But not many of us are good examples, are we? Where do we get the power to do this? What motivates us through uh, life into this kind of Jesus-centered, all-out radical love, a love like no other? That's what it is. Well, in our society and many religious settings, guilt seems to be the number one motivating factor to giving and helping others. We see that, don't we? You have so much, they have so little. Don't you feel bad? Give it away. Make, you feel, make yourself feel better. If you feel that way, it tells you a lot about your heart, my heart. If guilt is our motivator, actually what we end up doing is turning a lot of our actions into a list of do-its, a list of rules and regulations. I must do this, I must do that. Um, to either make you feel better and superior about yourself when you're doing well, looking down on others, by the way, or miserable and condemned about yourself when you fail. That's what rules and regulations do. It's a big problem. You can't win. The pressure of rules, the do, the do it's keeping up, obligation, guilt. Jesus says, no, stop right there. Guilt isn't soul-transforming. Guilt isn't life-changing. Stop it! So if it's not guilt, what is it? You can't read that. It says amazing grace. What will motivate me, empower me to a life like Jesus, is, uh, like, a life like Jesus that we see in this parable? Answer, grace. Amazing grace. Not guilt, but grace, the very foundation of truly understood and lived out Christian belief. The gospel, the joy news of Jesus, isn't a list of do-its. No way. The gospel is actually a done-it. It's history. It's happened. Good news, not good advice. Let me explain, looking at this story. Where does Jesus put the Jewish religious scholar in this parable? The true heart-changing moment comes when the religious scholar realizes that the man in the road is him. 
you, me, in desperate need of a rescuer. If Jesus had put the Samaritan in the road and the Jewish expert would have said, hey, look at me, aren't I a good one? Look what I've done, ding dong. God's going to really be impressed with me now caring for this scumbag in the street. You better be thankful, by the way. A hundred heaven points right there, like Tesco points. More likely, though, if you really understood the culture, knowing the racial and religious tensions of the time, you would have just laughed at Jesus. No way. I'm not a traitor to my people, he would have said to Jesus. Your stories don't inspire me, Jesus. Go away. But you see, Jesus didn't do that. This is very clever, and Jesus is hammering home a point. This is ninja all out. He puts the Jewish man in the road. He puts the Israelite there deliberately. He says, what if it was, what if it was your life that was ebbing out? What if it was you that was bleeding to death? And what if your only hope was an act of free grace to you from someone who doesn't owe you any mercy, who you hate, who you despise? In fact, he owes you the exact opposite because of your rebellion and self-centeredness, all your dishonoring, disregard, and disobeying, would you accept that free grace in the street? Ninja. Yes. Of course I would. Who would do that for me? And we know the answer, don't we? And that's the reality of our Christian faith. Soul-transforming life-changing. On the cross, Jesus was neighbor to you. Jesus paid the price that you deserved for all your sin, for all your self-centeredness and rebellion, for all your dishonoring, disobeying, disregarding behavior towards him. And in your desperate, desperate situation, Jesus Christ comes to you in the road, the great rescuer. He had compassion for you, despite all the barriers you put up between yourself and him. Um, He took pity on you. He bandaged your wounds. He put you on his saddle, and he carried you home. That's what changes the heart. I love stories like that, but this story is real. That's what gets rid of the problem of rules and regulations and religion and moralism. Grace. Amazing grace. This is the bottom line. This life-changing gospel of Jesus is for everyone. And as carriers of that message, we are to go out to everyone. 1 Corinthians 5.21 as we come to a land the band can cover up. That would be great as well. Um, 1 Corinthians 5.21 says this, In Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. Amazing grace. John 3.16, we've heard it already. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his cherished one, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal, intimate, close life with God. Wow! 
when you see him, Jubilee, as your good Samaritan, when you see him as your radical neighbor, it will melt your heart. There cannot be any other response. Pleasing him will become the joy of your soul, not out of guilt anymore, but out of praise and thankfulness and worship. That's the desperate longing of your heart, isn't it? Jubilee, this is what empowers us to a, radic- to a life of radical costliness. Some of the things we've heard up there already. Radical costliness, radical mission, radical neighboring, radical love. And so to end, I'm going to start where I start. I'm going to, end, to end, I'm going to go back to the beginning. Thank you so much for all you give in service and finances and love and care. Well done. Jesus' message, he's bringing us, alive to get, bring us, bringing us alive to it again. Clear to all of us this morning, isn't it? Like our great Samaritan, go and do likewise. Love God, love each other. Let's stand, let's pray. Yes, Lord, I thank you that you are an amazing God. And I thank you, Lord, that you release us through your amazing grace into an amazing life of sacrifice, giving, love, generosity, joy, grace. I pray, Lord God, that, you know, as we sing this last song, reminding uh, reminding us of your amazing grace, I pray, Lord God, in the moment you impart something fresh into our lives, calling us to um, uh, love you and love each other with greater zeal, greater passion, and greater um, um, excitement. We pray, Lord God, we thank you for this adventure that you've got us on. And we pray that you keep taking us from one step to the next step to the next step. We love you, Lord. We're obedient to you, Lord, but not out of guilt, but out of the amazing grace you've shown us in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Rescuer. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Let's sing. Let's celebrate.